0: Welcome to the Opawa Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, visit us on any Sunday or online at opawa.org.nz. On my Facebook page, often there comes up something like mention something that's not around anymore that'll show your age. And this week there was one on mention a type of clothing. And there were all these labels I'd never heard of, and I stuck in stubbies, which if you were around in the 1970s, you'll well remember, and probably if you wore them now, you'd get arrested. But one of the things that's not around so much anymore that was a big part of my childhood was the murder house. And the murder house was a very scary place. Far more scared of the people who worked in the murder house, the, the community dental clinic, than I was in the teachers that strapped and caned us. Marie, A2, couldn't believe it. Buddy. One of the things that we've got at the moment that we didn't have back then is spell check, which is a wonderful thing, except my spell check is broken. So if you're one of the people who got a script for the hard of hearing, You'd probably best read it phonetically rather than literally. I'm really missing it. Well, who here likes these things? Should take a moment just to gaze at it. Humble yet delicious. Filling, nourishing. Don't laugh. I really like these things, not as much as I like sausage rolls, but they're up there. My children, on the other hand, like it to the point of psychosis. There's a great donut shop at Auckland Airport called Dunkin' Donuts. Now they advertise the coffee there, but I'm reliably informed, don't drink the coffee. It's not good. So every time I flew up, I needed to return with a box of these or I'd cop it. My youngest son is particularly passionate about donuts, so that we gave him this as part of his 21st birthday present. It's called a bush. It's another quite beautiful thing. It took a lot of eating. His family had the first go at it, and then the friends had a later go at it, and we got through it eventually. Now, as someone who's not especially creative, I've always tried to surround myself with creative people. They add something important to community life. Creativity is a great gift. Now, About 25 years ago, I was working at the head office of what is now called the Ministry of Social Development and by next year will probably be called something completely different. It's had more makeovers than Lady Gaga and Madonna combined. One of the great challenges of New Zealand's social security system is to somehow take people's individual circumstances into account while treating like circumstances in like ways. I'm not at all convinced it's possible, but that's a reflection for another time. Anyway, in 1995, we had just lost a significant High Court case because in our administration of a special benefit, we had applied broad sweeping rules instead of looking at each person's circumstances individually. My very creative offsider devised a training program based around donuts to help people get their heads around how to think about statutory discretions. Now, her theory was that the solid doughy bits with the pink icing on the outside represent the requirements that you had to meet if you were going to get a benefit. For example, to get a disability allowance. You had to have income below a certain level. You had to be a permanent resident or a citizen. You had to have a disability that would last at least six months and those costs had to be not met by another agency. So if you met all that stuff in the, in the round, then you're in the hole of the donut and the MSD may grant you an allowance. Now they don't strictly speaking have to because it's a discretion but they need a pretty good reason not to. So it's not automatic one way or another, it's a discretion. And our staff found this donut thing quite a helpful image to have in mind. Now if you wind back the clock, 3,000 odd years, to the point that Solomon has just completed the construction of the temple at Jerusalem, there's another donut emerging. And by that I mean a framework within which his people, God's people, can live. Now first of bit of the dough is they have the law, which sets out what God expects from them as individuals and as a community. And I've mentioned it before but it bears mentioning again, the pagan gods didn't tend to do this. You had to have a pretty good guess at what they wanted and who knew what they wanted on, from day to day. But the Lord God of Israel set out his law. One of its major stresses was how do you relate to the idol-worshipping pagan peoples that live next door? And the short answer was don't get too entangled with them. Hence the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Really, really important. It got to be number one for a reason. Okay, so it's the law. Then there's Feasts. They have this whole series of feasts, and if you read the Old Testament law, it's party central. From month to month to month, they come together to celebrate, to worship, to remember. God wanted his people to enjoy each other and to enjoy him, and they did. They have the temple, which is the heart of the worshipping community of the people of Israel, and here they bring sacrifices to God which are made by the priests on their behalf— sort of like go-betweens. The priests mediate the community's worship of God. The king rules its national life, and the prophets emerge to point everyone back to the holiness of the law when they wander off the path of righteousness, especially when they start playing spiritual footsie with Chemosh or Baal, the gods of the Canaanite people. The community is led and served by prophets, priests, and kings. Okay, so that's the outside of the donut, but then how are you supposed to live inside it? Well, you obey the king, you worship at the temple, you enjoy the feasts, you follow the law, especially the bit about not worshipping idols. Okay, got that. But there's still quite a lot of life that you've got to navigate. Lots of decisions still to be made. Now, 1 Kings 8 records Solomon's prayer dedicating the new temple that he just built. And he prays this. If there is famine in the land, if there is plague, blight, mildew, locust, or caterpillar, if their enemy besieges them in any of their cities, whatever. Pl- plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever plea there is from any individual, from all of your people Israel, all knowing the afflictions of their own hearts so that they stretch out their hands towards this house, it's a temple, then here in heaven your dwelling place forgive, act and render to all whose hearts you know according to all their ways. For only you, you know what is in every human heart so they might fear you in all the days that they live in the land that you gave to our ancestors. Fear. Now, it's not talking about that reaction when you're watching Nightmare on Elm Street Part 23 and the person comes out of the closet waving a machete. But it's more like a reverend awe. Perhaps how you might feel if you met someone that you really admire. My youngest son admires the gentleman on the left there, Mr Post Malone. I'm a little bit more of a fan of the gentleman on the right, Mr Richard McCaw. And I imagine I'd possibly be a little bit starstruck if I ran into him at the supermarket, buying bananas at the same time. When you enter a cathedral, you may experience a reverent awe, or if you're in Queenstown, and you glance up, and you see the Remarkables. It takes your breath away for a moment. It's that that's been talked about here. Fear as a reverend war. Proverbs 1.7 famously picks the theme up. Lots of posters with this verse on it for sale in the Christian bookshops. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. There's a whole branch of the Old Testament, much of which loosely dates from this era called the wisdom literature. Song of Songs, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and there are others that didn't make the cut into the Bible, such as wisdom and Ecclesiasticus. Job is part of this tradition too, but it's regarded as probably much older. Now the prophet's usual role was to point the people back to faithfully following the law if they'd wandered off track while at the same time pointing them towards the ultimate hope of salvation. They spoke God's truth to the people when they were running off the rails typically by hanging out with the Canaanite gods rather than worshipping at the temple. By contrast, wisdom is how you live as a faithful follower of god at home at work in the fields or in the marketplace within the framework at the center of the donut so around the outside you've got law prophets temple king and feasts these books were a resource for god's people to draw on when they were wondering how should we then live their reflections on their experience in the light of what has been revealed to the community by the law and the prophets. So within the hole in the donut, there's a measure of freedom, but how best to use that freedom? And the thing about wisdom is it's often quite situation specific. Too many cooks spoil the broth, can be true. But so, too, as many hands make light work. Great minds may think alike, yet fools may seldom differ. Consistency is a virtue in social security benefit administration. But when leading a church in a time of significant change like now, consistency is the refuge of fools. the wisdom literature, it's a collection of wise sayings and experience which can be drawn on. They're not all absolute rules but they are proverbially true. For example, if you raise a child in the fear of the Lord, they will likely return to him. But not all will. Wisdom guided the people's journey of life inside the donut. Okay. To pick up the story again so Solomon eventually dies he is succeeded by his very foolish son Rehoboam the first challenge that Rehoboam has to face is the people are revolting they are really upset because Solomon has been taxing them heavily and he's been pulling them into forced labour for all these wonderful building projects like the temple that he's had going and they're sick of it And Rehoboam consults the elders and they say, yeah, probably time to just pull back and be a bit nicer to the people. He consults his younger friends and they say, nah, nah, double down. Let them know who's boss. And he follows them. And it all goes to a hot place. Ten of the twelve tribes rebel. They form a new kingdom called Israel or the Northern Kingdom and very quickly that kingdom becomes utterly indistinguishable from its pagan neighbours. The new regime blends their own version of the worship of God with the Canaanite religious traditions that they're surrounded by. So instead of worshipping at Jerusalem, they build their own temple and they worship the Lord as represented by a golden calf. Does that ring a bell for anyone from the desert? And the calf was there... They still thought they were worshipping Yahweh but the calf represented the strength and the virility of Yahweh but broke his second commandment of not worshipping a graven image. The northern kingdom munched right through the donut and out the other side. It didn't end well. 200 years later, the northern kingdom of Israel was taken off into exile by the Assyrian Empire and its people lost their separate identity. It seems likely that the Samaritans who pop up in the Gospels are descended from them. So in the south there, in Judah, there's the tribes of Judah, Levi and Benjamin stayed together and that's where the term Jew comes from. Unlike their northern kingdom cousins, they oscillated between being faithful to God and then pitching in to the idolatrous religion that they were surrounded by. They, if you like, nibbled on the inside of the donut, making treaties with other nations and at least tolerating the worship of idols for most of the time. They were ruled over by Solomon's descendants until they too were invaded and crated off to exile by the Babylonians a couple of hundred years later. Eventually they too were found guilty by God and we'll tell the story of the exile and the restoration later on. One of the Lord Jesus' many titles is he's the Lion of Judah. God protected the golden thread of the Messianic Lion from destruction which would have been likely if Judah had gone in with the Northern Kingdom. Kings and Chronicles, those books, record the history of God's people struggling with attack from the outside, but actually even more so from the inside, from themselves. Seemingly wanting to be like the other nations, wanting to fit in, rather than being content to be God's people, standing alone, just with him as their ally and supporter and king. The ancient Near East, was a very dangerous place to be. Hence, none of the other people groups that are mentioned in the Old Testament Scriptures are still with us. Now, Christians through the ages have drawn a lot of solace and comfort from Psalms, reading the Psalms, and a lot of wisdom and insight and inspiration from reading Proverbs. A mate of mine who grew up in a Christian family loved Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, as it mirrored his um, teenage angst and cynicism and frustration. As a non-Christian kid, I was into Pink Floyd, quite different. Ancient Israel had prophets, priests, and kings. And instead we have Jesus. Like the prophets of old, he spoke God's truth to us and our world, and through his word and his spirit, he continues to do so. is our great high priest who mediates our relationship with God the Father. Our prayers that go up to him, he takes to the Father. He prays for us as well on his own bat. He's our king. He's the head of the church universal, the whole lot of us, and the church particular here at Opawa. When we gather next week, to consider this proposal back the back lawn. The judgment we have to make is whether we discern that is where He is leading us. We discern rather than decide. Our collective task is to listen to each other, and in that listening, to discern what the Spirit is saying to us as a community. So, our donut is made up of the scriptures the lord enthroned in our community of faith the spirit in our collected experience we sung the creed before which is based on the apostles creed probably from the 2nd century it's an un- way that we understand our faith within those broad limits we too need to exercise wisdom in how we live from monday through saturday and i wonder if that similarity that we both live within donuts is why we find the books of Psalms and Proverbs so useful. I have a mate whose mother is quite spurry. So she will have a debate with herself as it comes to dinner time Should I make spag bowl or pizza tonight? Hmm, I think the Lord's saying pizza. It's true. She's a sweetie but I struggle with that because maturing Christians can make those decisions from their wisdom and their experience. On the other hand, many of you may have had or heard of marriage proposals that start, God has told me that we are to be married. I had one, and it wasn't from Steph. And I gently replied, well, he hadn't told me that was a tough night yet if you read 1 Corinthians 7 whether we marry and to who are our choices to make I'm not saying God won't play matchmaker because I think often he does but ultimately it's our choice our challenge inside the donut is to be open to God's promptings but also to be prepared to make decisions about study career Houses, relationships, having children, educating children, retirement, moving into the rest home on the basis of the best wisdom we have available. The counsel of wise people that know us well. Our, our self-awareness of how we are wired and when we are at our best. Our reflections on our own experience and the observation of others and just a calm, consideration of the alternatives. I think that's what wisdom practically looks like. I thought of a couple of examples. There's a family I know, a Christian family, they've got four kids here in Christchurch. They sent two to Middleton Grange and two to Rickerton High. They sent the kids who needed a lot of structure to Middleton Grange and the kids who were freer spirits to Rickerton High. I think they nailed it. All their kids had good experiences at school. Another one was a 70 year old relative of mine who bought his retirement house, his forever house. But it had the master bedroom upstairs. I wish he'd thought more about that. Because when his hips and knees started to go, it wasn't much fun. And thirdly, I know someone who tried to do an engineering degree. When they neither liked nor any good at physics, it didn't end well. He's enjoying commerce now. But you know, within the donut of Jesus' teaching in the scriptures, there's grace for all of us. We will make the wrong calls sometimes with the best will in the world, but that isn't necessarily fatal. I know of people who wisdom would say should never have married, but they've made a good life together. I doubt it was easy, but they've persevered. Good on them. We are free to get it wrong. And we will likely grow from those experiences. That is one aspect, I think, of what spiritual maturity looks like. The ability to make wise decisions and learn from our mistakes. Thank you for your kind attendance.